It's Friday, July 15th, 2022. I'm Josh Rollerson with the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, and this is the Pennsylvania Legacies podcast. The science is settled, and by now most people believe that climate change is real and happening now. Broad majorities, both nationally and in Pennsylvania, say they're worried about its impacts and want their leaders to take action. Still, the pace of progress on reducing emissions is maddeningly slow, and every week the projections look more and more dire. It's a recipe for despair, as people increasingly feel powerless and disconnected from the decision-making. Meanwhile, ideological divisions haven't disappeared either, and public opinion research shows the language around climate change is still polarizing. The phrase climate change itself is often enough to shut down a conversation, even among people who understand the reality of a warming planet. Pittsburgh's Carnegie Museum of Natural History is trying to change that dynamic, at least in western Pennsylvania, with its Climate and Rural Systems Partnership Initiative, CRSP, or CRISP. The goal is to circumvent political hot buttons and instead get people focused on what's right in front of them, how climate change affects them, their neighbors, and their communities, and get people thinking about what they can do. Peck's Lily Jones had a chance to learn more about CRISP from Bonnie McGill, a fellow in the museum's Anthropocene Studies program. Here's their conversation. Thank you so much for joining us on Pennsylvania Legacies. If you could start off by explaining what your role is at the Carnegie Museum of Natural History, that would be great. Sure. Uh, Thanks, Lily, for having me on. I'm an ecosystem ecologist by training, and I earned my PhD from Michigan State University in 2018 um, at CMNH, the Carnegie Museum of Natural History. Um, My title is Science Communication Fellow in the Anthropocene Studies section, and my focus area is the Climate and Rural Systems Partnership, or CRSP, which we call CRISP. Well, that is a great segue into our topic for today, which is CRISP. So um, tell me a little bit about that program. Yeah. So the Climate and Rural Systems Partnership is a network-based community engagement and research project that connects rural environmental educators and community organizers in the Laurel Highlands and the Shenango River Valley, just kind of north of Pittsburgh, um, with natural history museum scientists and educators and university learning scientists. So it's quite a mix of practitioners, educators, researchers, um, and it's a collaboration between the Carnegie Museum of Natural History um, learning researchers at Pitt. Um, They're part of a center called the University of Pittsburgh Center for Learning in Out-of-School Environments, aka Up Close. And the two rural network hubs um, are the museum's field station, Powder Mill Nature Reserve, which is located near Ligonier, PA in the Laurel Highlands. And the Mercer County Conservation District um, is the hub up in the Shenango River Valley area. Um, And the main goal of the project is to connect and empower this network of trusted messengers in rural communities um, to engage their publics in conversations about climate change. And our thinking being that in order to start taking collective action on climate change in rural communities uh, or any community, really, we need to first be able to talk about it. I know Peck is involved in the Laurel Highlands conservation landscapes. Um, So maybe we'll have some Laurel Highlands listeners. I wanted to give a shout out to some of our awesome um, Chris partners in the Laurel Highlands. So we have Peck. 
um, Mountain Watershed Association, the Western Pennsylvania Conservancy, including folks at Falling Water, the Westmoreland Land Trust, Indiana County League of Women Voters, Indiana County Conservation District, Forbes State Forest, National Road Heritage Corridor, Touchstone Center for Crafts, and Trout Unlimited, to name just a few, to kind of shout out to those folks, but also to kind of demonstrate what a collaboration it is and who's in our network. So that that sort of answers um, one of my follow-up questions, which is, how have you been going about recruiting people to participate in the program and connecting with those trusted community leaders? Yeah, so um, initial the initial part of the project started in 2020, right before the pandemic. Uh, and so then we were launching a public engagement project during a pandemic. So that had some challenges, but um, we've really started from the existing network that the museum um, had in the Laurel Highlands by having a presence at Powder Mill and, um, and then the existing network that the Mercer County Conservation District has, um, you know, by, you know, having decades of work in their community. So pulling, getting those um, existing partners um, interested in partnering on something new uh, and finding that a lot of the folks that the museum and the conservation district has collaborated with folks on environmental education type of things. And a lot of those um, people being like, yeah, I would love to be able to talk more about climate change. I want to do that. Help me to actually um, do that. Um, And also I grew up in Indiana County, part of the Laurel Highlands. And so I've been able to also kind of draw from my family connections with people to say, hey, you work in conservation um, and you might be interested in this group and kind of snowballing from all those uh, connections between me, uh, but also the museum and the conservation district. Um, It's a nice evidence that we're doing good work when network partners invite other people to come say, hey, you would would like this. So that's fun. sort of moving into the content that you're sharing with partners. Um, Can you share some best practices when it comes to communicating about climate change and maybe um, some tools that people can use if this is something that they're interested in learning about? Yeah, totally. Um, So I guess I first want to say some things that um, aren't working great um, and then give ideas for, for what we're finding is working well. Um, So conventional climate communication has used this kind of fear-based approach of assuming people needed more information to convince them into acting to avoid a scary future. Um, However, decades of this approach have been largely ineffective. Um, It's gotten people who are already motivated about the environment engaged, um, but folks that don't already have that, um, it, it hasn't really worked well. And that doom and gloom approach can actually be counterproductive, um, leads to a feeling of powerlessness and kind of fatigue with the issue when you're hearing it over and over again. And I often hear uh, from people, you know, but what, what can I do about it? You know, so it's really important. And we, as scientists, I get to pick on scientists because I am one. Um, we haven't done a great job of helping people find effective climate actions that people and communities can take. And so when you consider all these things, you know, how it's scary. And we talk a lot about how much it's going to cost to address this sort of this dominant narrative that solving climate change is a sacrifice. 
no wonder, you know, that climate communication hasn't really inspired more people to bring about like a future that they want. So some of the best practice ideas, um, what we're finding in CRISP um, is that museums, educators, organizers can do really a great service to communities by bringing people together who want to talk about climate change. Because I know in rural areas, people can feel really isolated because, you know, climate change might seem like it's a taboo thing to bring up. And so because we're all not talking about it, no one's talking about it, but secretly many of us want to talk about it. Um, So helping people see that they're not alone, um, creating a safe space to uh, gain confidence talking about climate change, practice using the word climate change, learn about actions that that they can take and talk about. Um, In CRISP, we've done a lot of like co-developing resources and activities with our network members for them to use with their audiences. So these are like infographics, tabling activities, pamphlets all on climate-related topics that they're curious about. So rather than me as a scientist coming in and being like, here's what you need to know about um, making things that are actually useful to people in the network. Um, We're also finding that the kind of theory of action I said in the beginning of um, we need to be able to talk about it in order to take action might actually be a little backwards. And we found like a real need to help people identify where in systems like energy, transportation system, agriculture, um, people can take action so that they have an authentic story to tell other people about climate action. Um, And so we usually think that we have to change beliefs before in order to change people's behaviors, but sometimes actions can actually change beliefs. Um, So we are encouraging folks to take actions like um, voting for leaders and policies that address climate change, um, eat less cheap meat. I know that's a hard one uh, for people to swallow, no pun intended, Um, but it's it's really the cheap meat part um, that I think is important to focus on. Um, Going to uh, papowerswitch.com, I think, Uh, and changing your energy source to renewables if you can afford that Um, and working with Solar United neighbors to get a solar co-op in your area Um, because hey you know I said I'm from Indiana it's coal country if Indiana PA can do it anybody can do it and that's something that they've done so those are some of the actions that um, I try to tell people about so we found that People are also, they're very aware of the urgency and global scale of climate change. And so they're really wanting their actions to feel like they matter. Um, You know, like changing my light bulbs to LEDs, that's good. But a lot of people have this sense that that's not enough. Um, And at that point, some people, you know, kind of give up, you know. And so it's important for communicators and educators um, to help everybody, everyday people to do kind of systems thinking um, and, and seeing where we can work as a community at the local level, we can do a lot of important things, um, to lead to policy change because big system change really comes down to policy. And so I think this is one of the next steps with CRISP is starting to explore local policies that can have a bigger, um, impact. And then I think we can encourage people to go have climate conversations and have a specific ask of who they're talking to. So sign this petition, come to this community meeting, call your county commissioner and talk about X, Y, or Z.
change at the state and federal level can be a really heavy lift, um, but we can do some really um, effective things. So things like where is the food sourced for um, public schools and hospitals and being part of, you know, making a regional food system to support those um, updating building codes so that new buildings are more energy efficient, investing in improving home energy ef efficiency in low income housing. You know, we can also think about like our Votex. What are we training people to do? Are we training them for um, the just transition, the green economy, you know, tra and training people young and old in renewable energy industry jobs, energy efficient construction, HVAC, um, community flood resilience. A few of the talking points, because um, people might be wondering, how do I talk about this? What's uh, useful? Uh, what works? Um, so here are some of the things that I've found resonate with folks in rural Western Pennsylvania, um, but I argue in many parts of urban and Eastern Pennsylvania as well, um, that climate change is human caused, therefore it can be human solved. Um, it's kind of hopeful once you, you know, if you come around to um, accepting the uh, the scientific evidence that that this time, this climate change um, is really driven by human activities. And then you're like, well, that's kind of good news because that means we can solve it. We can change those things that we do. Um, another one is that more people want to talk about climate change than you might think. So we can look at the Yale program on climate change communication. They have these um, climate opinion maps for the United States and they break it down by county, people's opinions. Um, on global warming, they use the term global warming. And if we look at that, about 60% of adults in rural Western Pennsylvania counties think global warming is happening. 60%, you know, and so that's more people are willing to, to talk about it than we might imagine based on our kind of silence about the issue. Um, also, uh, and I think a lot of folks in fossil fuel communities like Indiana, that we have the Homer City um, coal-fired power plant, um, seeing that, you know, regardless of policy, the way economics and globalization is, works, they've made renewables cheaper than fossil fuels moving forward. So it's kind of this writing on the wall um, that we need to face the end of fossil fuels and be a part of these conversations for reimagining what we want our communities to be. How are we going to have social support systems in place um, for families of workers in the fossil fuel industries currently in our areas. Um, and at that point, I love pointing people to um, reimagine Appalachia. They have um, a blueprint for how we can do that. They have jobs reports for um, how many jobs can be created um, if we invest in renewable energies um, and the just transition. Uh, you can learn more about that at reimagineappalachia.org. Another uh, resource people can look to is um, the Union of Concerned Scientists have some really great um, resources on how to respond to climate misinformation because it's out there. It's in the social media. Um, fossil fuel interests are investing hundreds of millions of dollars every year in crafting those. So we need to also be working against that um, very big force. You sort of touched on the issue of climate anxiety and how people just feel like so incredibly powerless sometimes in the face of climate change. Um, do you have any 
suggestions or tools for people who are kind of feeling that way or how to talk to someone who says like I just don't know what to do I feel like I'm just like this one tiny person and I have no power yeah totally I I feel that um and so I would first um listen you know listening is such an important part a lot of times people want to be heard and understood um and climate is this big complex system that's larger than all of us. But like I said, how it's human caused, so it can be human solved. And that requires, you know, us working together at the same scale that we're burning fossil fuels um, to change, you know, that to change our energy systems, to change transportation. And I also like to respond to that and say that um, there is evidence that positive change is happening. Uh, solar panels are going in all across the state. Utility scale solar projects are being applied for. Um, I know in the Shenango River Valley, part of that comes from um, policy that says how much of our domestic or our state's energy needs to come from renewables in our state. So that's created this market for let's get more renewables in Pennsylvania. So I'd like to give people examples of this stuff's happening, you know, and some of it is kind of the market, you know, not necessarily like a policy, but um, renewables becoming like a cheaper thing. And so once that happens, um, then the market drives us to invest in renewable energy. Um, I also like to say, cause I know a lot of people, you know, they want, they, they're like, I don't have hope. So why will I work on this thing? You know, um, one of the things I like to say is that that's how the fossil fuel industry wants you to feel like they have a very, they've crafted these messages and propaganda and think tanks and, you know, people to have messages that make us feel like we can't make a difference. You know, the only story is solving climate change is sacrifice. So they're winning if we feel that way. And so sometimes when I'm having one of those days, um, where maybe it feels hard to see the hopeful thing. It's hard to see that my actions matter. I just draw hope from knowing I'm being, um, I'm working against the system by having hope and envisioning a different future than they want me to think. It's also cool to have at that moment, one of these actions to say, you know, um, agriculture is responsible for about 10% of man-made greenhouse gas emissions from the U.S. every year. Um, and a lot of that comes from uh, livestock, what we, how we produce cheap meat uh, and the crops we grow to feed to make cheap meat. So eating less cheap meat, buying meat that's like grass-fed beef, locally raised, um, you're helping local farmers, it's traveling less of a distance. Uh, and it might be, you know, it's more expensive meat. So you might be eating meat less often, but of this kind of higher quality and, and lower carbon uh, footprint. Yeah, that's really good advice. I really, I like the idea that just having hope is a good start. Another sort of challenge that arises is how climate change to a certain extent has become like a political issue. Um, how do you sort of get around that to have meaningful climate conversations with people sort of regardless of um, political affiliation or belief? Yeah, that's kind of the million dollar question. Um, and so some of the, um, my thinking around that, what we've seen in CRISP um, is 
you know, it, yeah, it has become a political issue. Um, people shoot the messengers, scientists, because they don't like the message. Um, and so that keeps us from accepting the problem and moving to problem solving. Um, uh, and because politics is so divisive these days, you know, we don't bring it up in good company. So what we've found effective is not to start a conversation if you want to like change the subject or bring up climate change, not to start it with like, so what do you think of climate change? Um, because then you're sort of tapping into what is someone's political identity around is climate change real or not? And that's what's been, I don't know, the last 15 years of, of debate. Um, but now the, um, the evidence is so clear. The IPCC reports have such high confidence that, you know, it's human caused and we need to take action soon that I suggest a lot of scientists and communicators suggest just moving into the conversation about actions, kind of skipping whether or not it's real and um, jumping into what are solutions, uh, what, which ones are people interested in, which fit their community best, what are the co-benefits of different solutions. So talking about improving human health, air quality, water quality, bringing new jobs, those co-benefits might actually be the main thing that, um, that you talk about. And climate change is sort of like a side thing, depending on who you're talking about. And another part of, you know, avoiding the political debate, because it, it's this conundrum, you're sort of like, you can't talk about it because it's political. However, addressing this urgent problem at a system level scale involves changing policy. Um, so helping um, our educators and communicators get an understanding of their, the difference between politics and policy. Um, policy is, you know, the rules that govern society, um, how we do things, who benefits from those things, right? Politics is how the sausage making, you know, happens, how policy gets written, how it gets enacted, the deals we make, you know, the, these sorts of things. Um, and so some of those local, many of those local climate solutions that I described earlier, you know, local building codes, regional food systems, energy efficient housing, these aren't red or blue issues. Um, and so jumping into a conversation where, hey, something meaningful like that is underway, you know, so sign a petition, come to a community meeting, have your voice be heard. Um, maybe you care about it more because everyone in your neighborhood has asthma and you want clean air. However, you kind of come around to the issue. Um, so those are some of the ideas that I have for kind of getting around the, the political part, but also not being afraid to talk about policy. I really like that distinction. That's, that's really useful advice. Is there anything else that you would like to add about the program or your work? Yeah. So um, the Climate Rural Systems Partnership, we've developed um, a lot of resources with our partners. You know, what, what are their interests? What are their questions? Um, and a lot of those are on our website. More will be coming. So people can download those at Carnegie MNH stands for Carnegie Museum of Natural History, carnegiemnh.org slash CRSP is where we have those resources. And also if people um, want to get in touch with us, they want to join Chris, um, there's a form at the bottom of that page to get in touch with us. You know, if you're in rural Western Pennsylvania, please join us. We'd love to hear from you. Follow-up question to that. Um, you mentioned that a lot of the partners are like 
organizations. Can an individual show up to a CRISP meeting if there's someone who just wants to like engage their community? Yeah, individuals are totally welcome as well. Um, uh, we have artists, we have farmers, um, and these are all people, you know, even if they're not at a formal organization that has like an audience, um, there are people in their community, they're trusted messengers, um, they go to different they're involved in different community groups where they, they are leaders. And so anyone is welcome as an individual or part of an organization. Thanks so much, Lily, for having me on. Um, I kind of wanted to add that my time with CRISP um, is coming to a close, um, but I will still be in the Pittsburgh area working on climate change stuff, but working for the American Farmland Trust, farmland.org. So getting more involved with what's happening with agriculture and climate change and how um, that can be a big part of the solution um, for drawing carbon out of the atmosphere. You heard Dr. Bonnie McGill of the Climate and Rural Systems Partnership, CRSP, or CRISP, at the Carnegie Museum of Natural History in conversation with PAX Lily Jones. You can learn more about the CRISP initiative on their website. Look for the link at pecpa.org, P-E-C-P-A.org, our recently redesigned website. There you'll also find a link to the climate opinion maps from Yale University. Fascinating visualization of what people across the U.S. really think about climate change. It's well worth a visit. Much more on the PEC website, of course, about our program and policy work safeguarding the air, land, and water of Pennsylvania as well as past podcast episodes, blog posts, resources and information, a calendar of events, and much more, all at PECPA.org. Thanks for listening to Pennsylvania Legacies. We'll have another episode coming up in two weeks. We drop new ones every other Friday here at PECPA.org. Hope you can join us for the next one. Until then, for the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, I'm Josh Rollerson. And for Lily Jones, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.